Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Thank you for this time together. I pray that you open the eyes of our hearts that we could see what your word is saying clearly, Father. We give you all the honor with a great expectation for, for you doing great things in this time of, of ministry. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. We all say amen. Well, open your Bibles or your app or whatever you're using to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse uh, 14. We're going to quickly review as we have done each week, and then we're going to get into our focus today, which is the rhema word of God or the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6 and 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. By Roman law, only Roman soldiers were able to wear this particular uh, belt. Likewise, the only way we're, we're going to be able to, to effectively fight and be successful in God's army is if we have a revelation and, and, and a firm understanding of what the truth is. Psalms 119 and 160 says, the entirety of your word is truth. God cannot lie. If he does lie, he's not God. So if God is not right on every point, he should not be trusted on any point. The psalmist says the entirety of your word is what? True. So if God is God, it's an all or nothing proposition. Now they may laugh at us and, and think we're different, but, but, but I weep for them because they're all the same. And, uh, we want our insights, our understanding and, and our, our guiding truths to come from above because ultimately we're going to answer to the one who, who lives in the sky. Ephesians 6 and 14, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This is the next piece of armor. First, the belt. Now the breastplate of righteousness. And as we've said, the breastplate protects our, our most vital uh, organs, including the heart. And the greatest enemy of the heart, according to Jesus, is actually self-righteousness. And we'll never really know the righteousness of Christ until we realize that we really don't have any righteousness of our own. And the law was designed to strip us of all self-righteousness. Lambs were killed every year, bulls and goats, because humanity had sinned and fallen short. So all of that was designed to strip us again of our self-righteousness. So when we are fully armed in the armor of God, we recognize that our righteousness doesn't come from our own righteousness. righteous deeds. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and and his life and what he imputed to us through the cross. And having shod your feet, now the third piece of equipment here is the the, the, uh, sandals with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When we put our steps into God's hands, God puts his peace into our hearts. So if you're going to make it far in your spiritual journey, I mean, really go for for the distance. And if you're going to be able to move forward without hesitation, without slipping, you must know that, that you have peace with God and God's not mad at you. And you have to recognize that you have a message of peace that you're sharing with your neighbor, neighbors, that God loves them, that God's for them, that God wants to forgive them, cleanse them, wash them, and God has a plan for their life. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all, not just some, but all, my Bible says all. So every single 
fiery dart that comes from the wicked one, the Bible says we can actually put out the fire or we could quench it, that you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of who our adversary, the wicked one. So if we, if we drop our shield, every other part of our armor becomes uh, vulnerable. So faith is, is simply, I'm going to sum it up here, is our, our life-size insistence that, that, you know what, God has given us, over, given us authority over everything that he has not sent. One more time. Faith is simply our, our, our life-size insistence that God has given us authority over everything that he has not sent. So if God has not sent it to me, I don't have to receive it or accept it. So you, you, we, we got to realize in this battle that if God was not up to something, the enemy wouldn't be fighting us so hard. The only reason he's fighting us is because uh, there's real purpose, real future, and real hope in God's word for each of our lives. And 17, take the helmet of salvation. Now, the breastplate protected most of your vital organs, four out of the five uh, most vital organs, but the, 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 the most important vital organ is actually the brain, and the helmet is specifically for this, this organ. So salvation is not just knowing what you're saved from, it's also knowing what you're saved to. So I'm not just saved from hell, but I, I, I'm saved and on the way to a full and blessed life. I'm, I, I'm, I'm saved to something, not just from something. And that's a, a very, very important uh, thing to understand about your salvation. And, and really, the, the helmet of salvation is that constant whisper, that constant prayer to, to, to God saying, Father, Help me not let the devil talk me out of everything you have for me or anything you have for me. Because the devil's constantly trying to trick us and saying, well, you know what, this, this, this disease is for us or, or this hardship in our life God has sent. Uh, the reality is God uses these things, but God has not necessarily uh, sent these things. So uh, the devil's constantly, again, trying to get us to embrace these fiery darts. So we'll put down our faith and just accept them and embrace them. And hence, we, we, will, we will die. Now we're going to get to the final piece of armor. And then he says, and the sword. Now, this may surprise you, but he's not referring to a long sword here, uh, as you might uh, imagine. It's actually the, the, the gladius is, is what he's speaking of, and it was a two-edged sword. And up to this point in history, uh, I, I don't really think many peoples use this type of uh, of sword. Now, on the image you're about to see on the screen uh, behind me, uh, you're, you're going to see the soldier's right hand is on the gladius or the short sword, uh, and on his left hand, and all of this is attached to the belt. Actually, the uh, uh, the gladius is wrapped around his shoulder, and the belt of truth secures it and, and tightens it to the waist so it doesn't flap in the wind. But the dagger itself is connected to the uh, belt of, of truth. And this this short sword or this gladius was used primarily for, for stabbing and thrusting. And this was typically done from behind a, a shield. So uh, we're not really fencing with the devil, you know, in a battle of, uh, of eloquence, if you will. You know, touche, you got me here. No, I got you there. That's not really what, what's happening here. We're in a nasty up close, you know, and personal knife flight with the adversary. And uh, so the imagery, again, you know, that's, that's nice, but that's not really what's happening. We're behind our, our, our sword, and, and, and he's trying to, to shoot fiery arrows at us to make us drop our faith, and, and we are reaching from behind our sword to uh, address the, the adversary. The writer 
Vigidius tells us, actually, he wrote this in the 3rd or 4th century, but he explains the, the, the thinking and, and how the Romans uh, fought, uh, you know, at this time in history. And I'm just going to read what he said. He said, they were taught not to cut, but to thrust with their swords. For the Romans not only made jest, or they, 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 they laughed at those who fought with the edge of the swords, but also found them easy conquests. A stroke with the edges, though, though made with real force, seldom kills, as the vital parts of the body are defended often by bone and, and, and armor. On the contrary, a stab, though it penetrates only two inches, is generally fatal. So, uh, you know, the, the idea we have of, of, of you know, uh, that, that type of, of fighting is not at all what the Roman soldier did. And, and us thinking we're just going to go back and forth with the adversary, that is not what this scripture is, is, is picturing. It's picturing the gladius that was used to strike and to, to uh, actually kill. And it didn't take uh, a really even a, a deep thrust in order for someone to be fatally wounded. It says, and the sword of the what? Spirit. Now, this is the only weapon that is exclusively offensive. The shoes may have been used at times for kicking and, and stepping on people in the rest, and the helmet might have been used for butting at times, but the sword was exclusively used. This double edge was used for hacking and stabbing. I know it's a little bit fierce here, uh, but this is the imagery the Bible uses, and we are in a real life and death battle with real, you know, consequences and, 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 and real fatalities. I mean, people's lives are literally destroyed by the adversary if they do not have the proper armor on them. And the, the sword here, though, is unique from every other piece of armor because it's described a little bit differently. Let's take a look at the description. It's called the sword of the what? Spirit. So unlike the rest of the armor, the sword doesn't really just become part of the soldier or exclusively owned by the soldier. Uh, you know, the, the, the breastplate is not called the breastplate of the spirit. It's something the soldier puts on and he wears it. Uh, but, but here the sword seems to remain in the possession of the Holy Spirit. Moody said this. He said, this is Dwight Moody. He said, you might as well try to see with, without eyes, hear without ears, and breathe without lungs as to try to, to, to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. But I also want you to notice here that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are inextricably linked. It says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Both of those things together cause the sword to be what the sword is. The word logos or logos is not used here, which, uh, you know, the Bible says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word was with God, the same in the beginning uh, was, was with God. Uh, that, that, that word translated there, uh, in the beginning was the word, it was in the beginning was the logos. But that's not the word used here. Uh, it's the term rhema. Now, logos would represent the entirety of God's mind or the entirety of the Bible. But instead, he uses a very, very different word, very intentionally. He, he, he knows Greek well. He uses this word rhema, which only ref, uh, refers to a few sentences. So the logos is, is basically all of God's word, but the rhema is a part 
or an appropriate part of God's word that addresses a specific situation. The sword of the spirit, which is the rhema of God. So what a rhema word is, it's a specific power infused word that the Holy Spirit places in our mouth for a specific situation. I want to, 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 to read to you what one of the commentators says. It says, not only did the Holy Spirit give us the scriptures, but he also makes them come alive in our hearts to equip us with the right thrust of the sword at the right time. Now, I modified uh, Gil's words here a little bit, but, but nonetheless, uh, it, it's, a, a, it's that moment when the Holy Spirit rises up in your heart and you have that appropriate word for that appropriate situation. And that's, you know, it's great to memorize some verses, but when the Holy Spirit gives you a verse and it, it, it immediately matches the context. That's the rhema word of God, and that is how we put the adversary to flight. So it's not just having an intellectual understanding of the word. It's also being sensitive to the spirit and allowing God to pull that word out of your heart at the right time and, and to, to, to use it uh, to, to bring damage and, and, and negatively impact the, the kingdom of the, the, the enemy. Now, remember, it just required, you know, a two-inch, according to uh, the writer, uh, just a, a well-placed two-inch stab was all it took to destroy the enemy. But I, I think, though, Jesus gives us the best example of this. And uh, the Bible, you know, teaches doctrine, but then it also goes to show us pictures. So let's, let's take a look at how Jesus uh, lived this thing out. Luke chapter 4 and verse 3. Jesus had been led uh, into the wilderness by the, well, by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And uh, watch what happens. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. So what did Jesus do? He's like, oh my gosh, the devil's talking to me. No, he immediately grabbed his sword and spiritually stabbed the devil. I know that sounds fierce. But Jesus wasn't playing games. He got stabbed brutally on the cross. Uh, and some of that was retaliation for, for all that he did while he was alive. Now, now, we must love people, but nowhere in the Bible does Scripture tell us to love the devil. Now, you may think the devil's your friend, but, 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 a, but a dog will at least look down when he knows he's done something wrong. But a snake will, will look you straight in the eye. And that's what Lucifer is, a snake. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written. He didn't get in an argument with him. He didn't say, well, you know what? I think you shouldn't say that. And, and my college professor said X, Y, and Z, and here's my rationale. None of that. Jesus went to the word of God. He went to the words that were spoken through Moses in Deuteronomy. And uh, he said, it is written, the best way to deal with the devil is to pull out the scripture that God has made alive in your heart. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every, 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 Jesus was serious about the word of God, but every word of God. So what happened was the Holy Spirit quickened Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 in Jesus' heart, and he spoke it out of his mouth. And what happens with us is sometimes God quickens a scripture, but we don't speak it. So that's like having a sword in, in the scabbard, but, but you never pull it out 
and use it. Or you see things that are happening in your household and you might go talk to other people about it and pray, pray maybe even talk to God about it. But, but you don't really pull that word out to address the situation. And it would, it would be kind of weird to be a soldier that's, you know, uh, been trained for battle and the enemy comes and says something. And then you, you take your sword and you go run over to God and you start waving it to God and then go back to the enemy and do nothing. And that's sometimes what we do. God has equipped us with a sword, and we can address that situation. But instead of addressing the mountain, if you will, the situation, we start going to talk to God. And God's not the problem. God's not supposed to be at the end of the sword. The enemy's supposed to be at the end of the sword. And we have to speak to the adversary, speak to our circumstances. The Bible said, Jesus said, speak to our mountain, and it will be removed. So Jesus addressed the devil with the word of God. And, and if you change the words you're saying, soon you'll, you'll, you'll change what you're seeing in your life. But the next verse, or in the next verse, the devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus answered him, he said, get behind me, Satan. You see, there's no negotiating, there's, there's no reasoning, there's no, hey, why don't you be a nicer devil, none of that. He just keeps pulling out his, his, his uh, gladius, if you will, or, or the, the, the word of God. And he says, for it is what written. He didn't quote the whole book of uh, Deuteronomy. He didn't, he didn't quote the whole Old Testament. He simply quoted a scripture appropriate for the moment. And that's why it's vital that you have a scripture you're standing for on when the adversary is coming your way, a scripture that God is, is, is breathing into your heart and your mind that, that's alive in you in order for you to resist the adversary. He said, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So, ooh, he, he, he stabbed him again, but this time it's with Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13, but the devil didn't quit. The devil's a good devil, and the devil keeps doing what the devil does, and, and he's not a nice guy. He'll only quit when he's absolutely convinced he's defeated. You know, I wasn't there, but, but I'm sure the devil whispered, you know, Jesus, you, you can't withstand the, the, the storm. But Jesus replied, I am the storm. Amazing. Jesus wasn't intimidated. Jesus used that word of God and put the adversary at the edge of his sword. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and tried to make him question his deity. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. The devil tries to get under our skin. He injects these thoughts. And this is probably the way he was moving. He was injecting thoughts into his mind, images into his mind. As I said a couple weeks ago, Martin, Martin Luther was famous for saying, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from making a nest on it. And the reality is thoughts will come. Uh, but you can stop those thoughts from, from making a nest. And Jesus immediately addressed the thought, addressed the imagination. And just because you have an imagination doesn't mean you've sinned. Jesus has these imaginations. It hits him, but he doesn't act on them. He, and he immediately resists them. And we have to, the Bible said, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. It doesn't just say uh, resist the devil, but it says what? Submit 
to God. So in these moments, I'm sure as all these things happened, Jesus was looking to the Father, the Holy Spirit was when the whole Godhead is there. And I, I can't understand all the communication between them, but a lot like a triangle, I used this imagery before, three points, one essence, one person. God is eternal. And because he's eternal, the, 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 the personality of God is just a little hard to wrap our heads around. He's uncreated. So, you know, of course, there's going to be some mystery in this idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the Bible said the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness, meaning the Holy Spirit was, was engaged in this event in Jesus' life. So uh, here, you know, in this situation, I believe the Holy Spirit, he, he's a human being uh, that is God added humanity uh, to his deity. He's a human being. And as a human, the Holy Spirit uh, uh, ministered to him just like he will, will, will minister to, to us. And he put a word in his heart. And, and here's what Jesus said. He said, for it is what written. He didn't say my bishop said. He didn't say my mama said. He didn't say, you know what? I heard this on the news. He said, for it is what written. This is why we're in the book every single week. So you can know what is written because the Bible says the Holy Spirit will, will remind us of things. And if you, if you never heard it, how are you going to be reminded? So every week we're in this word. So at the appropriate time, you remember something that was said. Sometimes you might even remember it in my voice. And you're like, how did that happen? Uh, because God, God is, 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 the Holy Spirit is bringing back to remembrance something you heard and he's quickening it, quickening it by the Holy Spirit. So you can use it in battle in your life. So Jesus said to him, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And by the way, the devil uh, twisted this meaning of the scriptures. So, so Jesus corrects his uh, doctrine. What the devil loves to do is twist scriptures. And, and in their hands, they, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And that was uh, from the Psalms, by the way. And, uh, you know, Jesus, as, when, when, when he answered, basically what he did for, for the final time is he, he, he stretched forth that, that, that sword. But this time it wasn't Deuteronomy. It was one of the Psalms, Psalms 91 in, in particular. And uh, here's the deal. If, 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 if Jesus loved us enough not to show the devil any mercy, I'm not going to belittle his example by me trying to show the devil some mercy. The devil is the worst kind of thug. He's the worst kind of criminal. He's the worst kind of snake. He's, he, the devil has no remorse. He, he feels no sorrow. And there's, no, th th there's only one way to, to really win against the devil. According to my Bible, the example of Jesus, the example of the apostles and all that have gone before us. The only way to win against the devil is to show him no mercy, no pity, and no fear. He's a real adversary. And we got to go after him when he shows up in our lives with, with our whole hearts and with the word of God, not our own strength, not our own power, but the the word of God in our hearts, spoken out of our mouth, will put the adversary to flight. He said, it has been said, again, back to it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So again, Jesus responded several times with the short sword or with the rhema word from God. One scholar defines a, a rhema this way. He says, I want to read it. A specific quickened word that deals exactly with the type of attack we are facing. Now, here's the deal. If we have now become the body of Jesus Christ, if we are now one or united with him as, as Colossians, Ephesians, and, and, and Philippians, and, and the epistles say, 
We're one with Christ. We have the same Bible, and we have the same Holy Spirit. Why should the devil respond any differently to us? So if we're the, the body of Christ, when we put the word of God in our mouth that he's quickened in our heart and, and we speak it, watch the devil back up just like he did with uh, 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 Jesus. So let, let's watch what happened. Now, now, when the devil had ended every temptation, so he came at him three times, came at him in three different areas, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. And the enemy still comes at us in, the, in these areas. And, but, but Jesus... I mean, he, he couldn't stand. He, he, he couldn't win. Jesus kept keeping him at the edge of the sword. So when thoughts come in your mind, you know, I can't forgive. I hate that person. I'm going to kill that person. Man, no, 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 no. The, the, the word of God says, uh, uh, given it shall be given unto you. Show, show he who gives mercy shall receive mercy. He who forgives shall be forgiven. And, and the greater one lives on the inside of me. And he's empowered me to, to forgive. Jesus forgave from the cross. So I can forgive, uh, in a situation in my life. And you have to, you know, let that word come alive. So you have something on the inside side of you. So when the enemy is trying to, you know, uh, fill your mind with, but you can't do this or you're not that, that you have um, the right understanding and the right answer to the situation. So again, the sword is an offensive weapon. It is an answer to an attack. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.